Welcome to The Q Word, a podcast about the tips, trends, and taboos of emergency nursing, where we pull the hospital curtain back on issues that emergency nurses and their patients often think about but seldom talk about. You found the Q Word Podcast. Before we get started with today's episode, I have to deliver a wee caveat. We had some recording issues with our guest's microphone, and so that audio quality is, in places, not quite up to snuff. But we didn't want to lose any of the golden nuggets he dropped or our conversation's spontaneity, so we hope that you'll bear with the bad sound quality and give this episode, The Pause, a listen anyway. So, without any further ado. So, we always start off our interviews by asking, do you say the Q word when you're on shift? I would say the Q word when I was really bored. (laughs) And uh, it would simply just be to feed the beast inside me. And every time I did, the waves would come pouring in. Oh, so you you like to provoke the trauma gods. Sometimes, sometimes. It was just, you know how you get that itch. You just want to scratch it. Um, Yep. Yes. You get about eight traumas after, and then I'm like, okay, redact. I'm sorry. Enough. It's full. Enough. <laughs> well, Nisa, since we jumped right into it, who is this summoner that we have been talking to? Yeah. Let's introduce our guest for this afternoon. We are thrilled to have with us today a nurse who um, has been in healthcare for over 30 years, uh, initially started in trauma and ER, but since then has done many other things, including uh, organ transplant med surge, oncology, and palliative care, currently working as a palliative care liaison. Is that still true? That is still true. They have not fired me yet. (laughs) Good, good. It is also um, important to note that um, he has a background in uh, in a a bachelor's degree in psychology, also some post-grad work in Eastern philosophy and Western mysticism. And one thing I'm very interested to hear about is his partnership in a hot sauce company called the Mad Hatter Foods. Can't wait to hear about that. Excellent. (laughs) This guest has created a tool for nurses that requires no budget, no extensive training, no continuing education, uh, can be implemented at any time, and the benefits of using this tool are enormous. And so with that teaser in place, I would like to welcome Jonathan Bartels to the Keyword Podcast. Welcome, Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, ladies. Nice to meet you both. Nice to meet you as well. Thank you for uh, joining us from where Virginia. Is that where you are right now? Charlottesville, Virginia. Yes, ma'am. I'm in Boston, and Nisa is happily ensconced in Macon, Georgia. So we are we're covering the East Coast. Nice. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> So before we jump into this tool that I've been alluding to, tell us about Mad Hatter Foods. Yeah. You got a couple of foodies online. Oh, you excellent. So Mad Hatter can be bought online, and it's a habanero, pineapple, olive oil-based hot sauce. Um, it's a dip. It's a marinade. It's a salsa. We call it a super condiment. Nice. <laughs> Looking up the website Love right it. now. Looks good. Yeah, dude. We will put um, how to order that on our in our show notes for sure for our listeners. Absolutely, excellent. So let's uh, let's take a 
180 swerve and talk about this tool that I've been alluding to. And the tool is called the pause. Can you explain to us and to our listeners what the pause is? So the pause is simply a really uh, easy practice that I applied in the ER after I'd faced a lot of different deaths over my time as a nurse. And uh, I realized that we were not doing something and we were missing something after a patient died. And a lot of what I saw was a lot of disappointment, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, and a lot of just turning away from the body. And so I uh, implemented a practice that we, uh, that we call the pause. And what happened was after a major trauma, I decided to stop the room before they left. And I said, could we just take a moment, y'all, and just take a moment and honor this patient in this bed? You know, before they came in, they were alive. They were someone's brother. They were someone's family member. You know, they were someone that was loved and they loved back. Could we just take a moment and honor them, but also honor the work that we've all done? You know, from squad all the way into this room to try to, to bring them back. And we just, we just couldn't. And if we could honor them in our own way and in silence and hold that space, you know, we'll just do it for 30 seconds or a minute. Would that be okay? And then we did it. And, uh, I had people come up to me afterwards and, uh, you know, they're like, dude, that was awesome. And so the response was just really positive and it kind of, uh, started, to take off from that point, um, people just started emulating and repeating the practice. And so it was a grassroots kind of growth from my one practice, it spread to many, and then it spread across the country, and then it spread to six different continents across the world. I love it. And it, it just gives me chills when you tell the story, because um, nurses, our listeners will identify with that situation that you just described of having an unsuccessful code and then being expected to walk out the door and go chaperone a pelvic exam or relieve the triage nurse as though nothing has happened. And I hear that complaint a lot that we're just expected to to move on with with no demarcation that something important has just happened. And that's what you've created in a beautiful way. I also know that um, November 5th happens to be an anniversary of the pause. Yeah. Um, that was, uh, the first time I made it like legit. Um, because prior to that, I thought it was a captain obvious moment. And in fact, people said, dude, you know, this is awesome. You're doing an amazing thing. I'm like, dude, this is, this is obvious stuff. Doesn't everyone do this? They said, no, you need to write it down. I'm like, come on, man, this is, Easy, obvious stuff. I don't need to write it down. But a friend of mine really pushed it hard. And I ended up uh, reaching out to the AACN and asking to write. Now, I'd never written for any sort of nursing journal. And so with my background in comparative religion, I kind of went with, um, you know, my own type of writing, which is a narrative type. And so I said, I'll, I'll write it and send it in. And in fact, I talked to the one of the editors years later, he said, this came across my desk and I didn't know what to do with it. He said, it was not your typical you know, publication for our journal, but I pushed it on to the others to let them look at it. And sure enough, they took it on and they published it. Yeah. And that's where I was first exposed to it was actually reading that 
journal article. It was a journal that a coworker of mine had literally moved out of state and left a stack of journals at the at the base. And I was thumbing through it. And that's how I bumped into the pause the first time. So at what point in time do you call for the pause at? So you said it's after a major trauma. Can you give me a better sense of when you think this is necessary, when you think it's required, when you think, even if it's just what would be nice for us to do it, I I just want to get a better sense of when you call for it. I called for it after a major trauma, but that's not its limit. Um, And I've seen it done a lot of different ways. Um, I've seen people do it, uh, you know, maybe outside the room, down the hallway, because the family was still kind of dealing with their own gig and they're dealing with their own situation. So I saw in ICUs where they stood in the hallway and actually did it as a group. You know, the neonates, um, they can't do it right away. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. So they would do it at the end of their shift. I've also seen it done with families present. Um, I've also seen it done without families there just because they weren't there for the resuscitation. I've seen it done for prepared deaths like we know they're going to die. If I do a terminal extubation in an ICU or a compassionate extubation, um, I know this patient may eventually die. And so asking family after they do pass away to do it. I've seen it done in hospices. A lot of people look for permission, like when should I do it? How should I do it? And I tell them it's all about honoring, right? That's really what this is about. So when you honor, I mean, that's up to you and it's up to your practice. I'm curious, have you ever encountered anyone who, who is rubbed the wrong way by the idea of taking a pause? Are there some that need to push through? Well, some people can't, right? How many of us have seen people who've gone through so many friggin' traumas, man, that they, you stop for a minute and you're quiet for a minute, that minute alone will help you break down. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's why I ask. Mm-hmm. And if they can't do it, I usually follow up with them to say, you know, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Is there more you can do? Can we get you connected with the EAP, um, Employee Assistance Program? Can we get you professional help? Do you need support? Do you need an ear to, 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 to listen to you? Um, you know, it's an impetus for me to seek further that they're okay. Mm. Um, we don't feel the post-traumatic trauma that we have and secondary trauma until we stop and slow down. When I started slowing my pace, that's when I started to realize how many scars I had from what I'd been through. Wow. And so I think you bring out two important points there. One is that you promote that it should be optional and that you you leave an opportunity before it's done for people to opt out. And also that sometimes those people who are opting out are sending out a red flag that they may be the ones who need follow-up like you described the most. So who is it that can call for the pause? Anybody. Mm. I've had my text call for it. Um, a lot of times physicians take over because that's what they think they should do. Um, but I've had a respiratory therapist call for it. Um, I've called for it as a nurse. So there's no limit to who can call or why. I've had EMS call in a room and say, can we do a pause? Now, it's a very specially worded um, 
phrase. Is that correct? Is that is it something you can articulate for us right now? I just want to hear it. Yeah, it's what I try to really do is avoid the relig- religiosity of language, if if I could use that word. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not because I think religion is bad. I believe that we work and live in a multicultural society. Mm-hmm. So if I use religious language, um, I may alienate people in that room or I may alienate that patient or their family. Mm-hmm. And so the words I use are, are something like this. You know, could we take a moment and could we stop and could we just honor this patient, honor the life that was lived, honor them and honor their family and honor their loss. And if we could also take a moment to honor ourselves and the care we provided. And so that's my language. Mm. When you say it, it might be something different. But if you notice my language, I try to avoid uh, the religious aspect of it and really promote a humanistic. But that doesn't mean when you are silent, that if you're a Jew, you don't pray in your own way. If you're Christian, you don't pray in your own way. If you're Buddhist, you do your own way. And if you're atheist, you do your own way. No one's imposing. No one's really projecting onto anyone else and they're just doing something they feel is right uh, you said that you or anisa mentioned that you were into uh, eastern philosophy and western mysticism it reminds me a little bit of this sort of thing that you see in the Bhagavad Gita or the Upanishads that those those sort of maxims that exist that like you say is not specific to any one culture or any one way of life but is more of a human like universal experience and that's the humanism. If you study humanistic philosophy, mm-hmm. it's really that. I mean, we're all human. And the last rite of passage we will face is death, every one of us. And so what I wanted to do was to really mark that. Um, as an, as my education and promoted, um, you have to always, you know, every rite of passage from birth to childhood to adulthood, to marriage is all marked in ritual. And what I was trying to do was bring a ritual back that was not scientific, but not necessarily too religious at the same time. And that's where this came up. And I I think that um, ritual piece that nurses have constantly said, there's something missing. One of the things that I found really interesting when I was researching this is that you discourage it from being made policy or official procedure. You encourage folks to continue the grassroots organic nature of it. Can you tell us why that is important? I'm really adamant about that because I don't think it would spread to six different continents if it was a protocol. Even the most amazing protocols we have are not spread like that. I think by allowing people to do it or inviting them to do it, it becomes yours. You own it. It's not the Jonathan Bartel's pause. It's the pause that you're doing in honoring your patient. Um, When an institution tries to capitalize on that or to take that and, and make it their own, or mandate it, you take away that power. If I'm, it's like saying, you better be happy and you better be compassionate instead of encouraging someone to be happy or encouraging them to be compassionate. I, I like that. I think that is uh, an important way to look at it. 
I had a series of questions now that were pretty granular about detailed execution of the um, of the pause about, you know, 45 seconds versus 60 seconds, or does it need to be read or memorized? Is it appropriate reading from a phone or a badge card? But it sounds like um, it's, it's a little bit uh, freeform. So my follow-up question instead then is, is there a wrong way to do the pause? Yeah. Um, the wrong way is to pray out loud. And I don't think praying is wrong. But again, I go back to imposing um, your own belief system. You know, even a Christian, Christians divided into, I don't know, man, there are thousands of different sects of Christianity. How is the words you're using going to be appropriate for your particular patient? Um, You can go into any religion and you're going to look at many variations on that. So I avoid the language of, of really doing that. I've heard difficult stories from families and, and, and patients who they they went in, man, and, and it's it was good intent. It's totally good intent, but they imposed their religion on that family, and that family felt assaulted, and it wasn't meant to be. That was really meant to be loved, but it didn't, it wasn't received that way because that language wasn't correct, and that's the only thing I really think I think it's just the humanizing, honoring, and recognizing are some of the main things you have to do. So we should say that it is uh, three or four sentences that you recommend that you have written, and then you recommend a 45-second pause of silence. It could be 30, it could be 60, it could be 90, whatever is appropriate. So it doesn't mean someone needs to sit there with a stopwatch. It just means we're going to take a pause, a silent pause. Um, and so I think that's, that's the beauty of the, of the process there is that that's how it is done. But it, it sounds like it doesn't matter if it's read or if it's stated or if it's from your phone or if it's memorized, any of those things that I thought might be important are really not the important piece. How is it that you, um, so I, you said it's spread to a bunch of different countries, um, was that on the strength of the article? I also noticed there's like a Vimeo. I, I did a little Googling and, and, and came up with a bunch of stuff. Um, is it word of mouth? How is it you think this information started spreading like wildfire to other hospitals and uh, care, caregivers around the globe? I think the spread, I, at one point, I was reaching out to leaders across the world randomly, Googling them and trying to find their emails. And I sent out I want to say like a hundred emails linking my website and sending it to different leaders in different parts of healthcare around the world to see. But by word of mouth, people have heard my story and they repeat it. And when they repeat it, it becomes their story. And when they repeat it and it becomes their story, others hear it and they start to implement and it becomes their story. And so that's where I think the real power is, is that Again, it's, 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 it's empowering others to do the right thing. And it's, I, I want to stress also, it's not a panacea. It's not going to make it all go away, man. It's not going to make that two-year-old who you're holding in your arms with blood all over you. It's not going to make you feel better. Um, but it's a start. And it's, for me, it's a point to say, dude, take care of yourself and honor this. And not just stuff this down, man, because we all just stuff it down. 
And the more we stuff it, the fuller we get. The fuller we get, the easier we are to get to burnout. My experience with it, I had a group of nursing students, eight nursing students, and I was their clinical instructor. And we had a patient that we were caring for. Um, we went to lunch and we came back. And a few minutes after we came back, we were coding this woman. And the students actively participated. It was their first code blue, their first time doing compressions. Uh, the, the code was unsuccessful. And because of my role there as a clinical instructor and not staff at the hospital, I waited and we took the, I took the students to our, our post, uh, post clinical debrief and we did the pause there. So it was about an hour later. Um, and we did the pause, uh, and I wanted it. It was important to me that their very first experience with a death, uh, have this in place. And then this is a tool that they can then take. All eight of them are going to go to different places, different specialties, uh, and now they have it as an option to use um, the next time that they have are faced with this. So um, that was my that's my story with the pause, my first time using it. I'm wondering what kind of feedback do you get from practitioners who are using it? It varies, um, but most of them feel it's a positive thing, um, and they feel that. They, at least the ones that are talking to me, are the ones that have implemented and accepted it as part of their practice. Okay. Um, I don't often have a lot of people come up and tell me the other half of that, of, of I don't want to do that, that's not my thing. I've heard pushback just because people are afraid it's religious. Um, but for the most part, for most practitioners, even in the field, they feel um, that it's a positive, easy to implement practice only takes 30 seconds, no matter how busy you are, you can take 30 seconds or a minute out of your busy life to do. And it means so much, you know, and, and it, it, I've, to hear what it's done for families too that are present, it's really cool. I just heard the other day, um, one of the professors at the school had told me that she did pause last year after her husband coded in front of her. She did CPR on him, tried to resuscitate. She said the house was full of, you know, police, the sheriff's department, fire and EMS, and, you know, her kids. And she said it was chaos. And I called out and I said, could we all stop and take a moment and do this practice? And she was the one that called for the pause. And she said it stopped everyone in that room. It stopped the motion. And it allowed her, as a family member, to take a breath herself. And I was just like, dude, that's so awesome. It's very powerful. It's like standing at the threshold and, and acknowledging that something has passed through it. I think that's really beautiful. One of the things that I like to cling to is that we're told as nurses, when you can't give your patient a beautiful life, give them a beautiful death. And that is, uh, that would be my idea of a beautiful death. Agreed. I had another lady tell me her mom died in the nursing home. In Virginia, you have to have EMS pronounce. So all these fire providers walked into her room because that's what they do. They have them come in and they all stood around her bed. And then they looked up and they said, ma'am, could we 
take a moment to honor your mom. And they stood in a circle around the bed and did the pause. And then she also told me, she said, you know, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that at all. And that was really special. Wow. You know, and it's everything that we feel, right? As care providers, we all feel this, man. We all, we all give a shit. We really do. Sometimes we just don't show it. And we can say, I'm sorry. And we can say all those things. Um, but death is, is what I often refer to as an ineffable experience. So can you tell us where listeners can find you and find the pause and find more information? Yeah, we'll definitely send our listeners to your website, which is thepause.me. Um, we'll put uh, a link to that in our show notes. But uh, what else is there? Um, and then we're, uh, there's going to be an app that we're launching um, with a guy named Michael Hebb. Michael does Death Over Dinner. And if you don't know that, it's a cool website about kind of normalizing death over dinner. And it's got a whole process. But Michael um, came uh, grabbed me and wanted to do this collaboration with me and someone from Cleveland Clinic. And so it'll be an app that they can use or refer to if wow. they need to. And that'll be launched in December. It'll be free. Great. Yeah. Great. We will put, uh, we will put links to all of that on our website and in our show notes. Cool. Well, thank you for spending time with us this evening. I think our fans will very much uh, enjoy hearing about the pause directly from the man who created it. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Yes. I, this is really a very beautiful, beautiful thing that you've established. Thank you. Thank yes. you both for being here. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. <That's> so nice. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, to everybody who's listening, uh, this is us signing off. If uh, Check us out at thekeywordpodcast.com or email us at thekeywordpodcast at gmail.com. Don't be afraid to say quiet, people. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and on that, end of peace. Could we take a moment just to pause and honor this person in the bed? This was someone who was alive and now has passed away. They were someone who loved and was loved. They were someone's friend and family member. In our own way and in silence, let us stand and take a moment to honor both this person in the bed and all the valiant efforts that were made on their behalf. Thank you.